0: Welcome to Truth Transistor Radio.
1: This is the most awesome podcast of all time. I'm your host, Rob Hedrick. This podcast is brought to you by Proverbs 16, 18. Pride going before destruction.
0: Hello truth transistors welcome to episode number 23 and I had thought about doing another apostasy episode but I think the ones I did is pretty good I mean I could go on and on forever discovering new uh, apostasies but I think um, I'm tired of talking about apostasies so this one's going to be the true church what is the true church And that's what we're going to be talking about today. Something a little more uplifting than talking about the negative, (laughs) you know, the wolves in sheep's clothing. So this one's called The True Church. But before, uh, I would like to talk a little bit in my intro section where I just ramble on whatever, on one of my favorite comedy teams, The Marx Brothers they started out on vaudeville back in the early 1900s and were more where they started out doing music and but on stage they would ad-lib a bit and they were very funny and soon comedy became the number one thing about them and music became a secondary thing and uh, Later on, they they moved from vaudeville to Broadway, and they had a couple of hit shows. One was called Coconuts in the early 20s, and then later in the 20s, Animal Crackers. And those became their first two movies as well that were made in uh, 29 and 30. Um, And the, the, the height of their popularity was probably from the early 30s, you know, the 1930s, I'll just say that. They made movies in the '40s that were not as good, but I still think they were funny. Um, I'll just say this: Um, in my opinion, they are the funniest, and they were of that era, and they were ahead of their time. the The ones that are more popular from their era, and maybe you know, some of these go later because they became TV stars as well. Some of these was like uh, The Three Stooges, which I'm not a big fan of The Three Stooges at all. I think it's just silly slapstick, you know, thoughtless kind of comedy. Uh, then there was and Costello, which I think is okay. There's a few things about them that I enjoy, but um, it's a little formulaic, uh, I think. Although, maybe I, I shouldn't say much, since I haven't... Maybe they have some deeper stuff that I'm not aware of. Although I will say, um, when Lou Costello would do uh, (laughs) funny things with numbers, I thought that was pretty clever. Um, If you don't know what I'm talking about, there's a... On YouTube, you can find it. I think he's trying to prove that 15 times 7 is 22. Because he owes uh 7 months of rent I think for $15. I don't know if I have the numbers correctly. And he gives the guy $22 and he says uh that's a lot more than 20 you owe me a lot more than 22. But Luke costello does some funny things with the numbers to make it multiply to 22. Uh that was pretty clever. Um they are better than the three Stooges. It's a little less slapstick, you know, it's more uh, conversational comedy. Uh, Then there's Laurel and Hardy, which I do love. I love Laurel and Hardy. Um, Again, they're probably more popular than the Marx Brothers. They are probably my second favorite behind the Marx Brothers. There was also the Little Rascals, which I would put right up there as well. I love the Little Rascals. But I think the Marx Brothers were a step above and some of their movies were actually more popular 30 years later than they were when they came out because they were so over the top, especially a movie called Duck Soup. Which, if I recall, I think I'm correct when I say this, that it was not a big hit when it came out in 1933. But, um... 30 years later it was a huge hit amongst hippies because it was anti-establishment and anarchist craziness um and uh it's also very strange it's it it was very influential to like Monty Python there's some very odd stuff going on in that movie that doesn't make a lot of sense but it's just in there for the silliness of it and um so so yeah they're they're very very funny and uh, i'm going to play a clip of them here in a bit but just to give you a little information and you're thinking why am i talking about the marx brothers because it's my podcast and i can do what i want <laughs> and i like to rant ramble a little bit about things on my mind in the early part of these things they were four brothers actually five total uh The oldest was Chico Marx, and his uh, character uh, had an Italian accent, although they're all Jewish, so he's not really Italian. Uh, And he did a lot of funny stuff with wording, you know, wordplay, um, using (laughs) that Italian accent. Second oldest was Harpo Marx, and he doesn't talk at all. Obviously, uh, oh, and I'll say Chico Marx played the piano. Very, very good piano player. Uh, Harpo Marx obviously played the harp, as you can tell by his name. But he was a silent guy. He did not ever speak. His noise came from a a little horn that he holds, like a bicycle horn that he has in his pocket. And does some miming and stuff like that. um, Which is kind of like taking a silent film uh, comedy star into a... into sound audio which doesn't really make sense but it's it's hilarious he actually was the only march brother that was in a silent film i think um i don't remember which what it was called but he played like a villain i think uh third oldest was a guy named gummo who was not in any movies um he was actually with them on vaudeville and maybe on broadway i don't know but he left to to Joined the military during world war one and decided not to get back into the act and i'm not sure what his role was exactly um like what kind of character he played or whatever uh i want to say maybe he was like a german uh comedy comedian like uh played a german accent and then groucho kind of took that position although eventually groucho became something else groucho's the fourth oldest and probably the most popular of all of them um he um (laughs) he was supposed to have this fake mustache and one day he was just too tired to put it on so he just found some black grease paint and painted it on his uh above his mouth and just kind of stuck with it throughout the movies although i think in a later film he had a real mustache again but most of his movies he had a fake uh oil paint on his, uh, to make, you know, like a, it's, which is crazy, but he was the king of the insult, Uh, very funny insult, and very witty, uh, wordplay, you know, speak, talking comedian, Uh, and, uh, and then the youngest was Zeppo, and he joined the act late, sometime in the 20s, uh, after Gummo left, I think, um, Zeppo joined. Um, He was the youngest, and then when the movie started, you could tell that he was uh, not like his brothers. He was always playing a straight role, a very small character, although there was a couple of films that he had bigger roles in. Um, One thing about the Marx Brothers is that they did not, their characters, I think there was a lot of comedy back then related to the idea of, like poor people and the common man how they relate to the wealthy elite you know that that was kind of a big thing back then although i think most of them it's the poor and common man trying to fit in trying to appeal and uh you know i think of laurel and hardy this way where oliver hardy's always trying to to act like he belongs (laughs) <laughs> but they're like Laurel and Hardy are, are kind of bums Stan Laurel is plays it kind of dumb where he doesn't uh, you know live up to and the Three Stooges play kind of dumb as well where they don't kind of live up to the elite and I'm trying to remember how Albert and Costello work in that regard but, um, but yeah the Marx Brothers on the other hand did not really give two flips about who you were <laughs> and especially Groucho, but none of them really really cared about where, what position or you know how much money you had, and they would treat them and insult them and and you know not really care. <laughs> and that's what made them unique, I think, um, to to that era and uh, kind of the anarchist attitude of we don't care who you are or what money how much money you have we're just going to be us and we're going to be confidently us you know and so another thing I would say that made them special is how they paired up like Laurel and Hardy was a big hit right App and Costello was a big hit well let's say Groucho and Chico were together and they did scenes together just the two of them so no Harpo in that scene just Groucho and Chico I would say that when the two of them are together, it's similar to what Abbott and Costello would become. A lot of wordplay, conversational comedy. When Chico and Harpo were together, who were together quite a bit, it was more like Laurel and Hardy, (laughs) I would say. Although different, but kind of more that kind of comedy, I would say. When Groucho and Harpo were together, which was rare... But when they were, it was, it you know, something completely unlike anything else that ever is. You know, I can't think of anything else quite like it. Except maybe the little rascals, I don't know. Like, I could think of some... The, there's a scene in a movie called The Big Store. Which is one of my favorite scenes with just Groucho and Harpo. Just a rare... Uh, probably the longest scene with just the two of them. And... The style of it and the comedy of it reminds me of a Little Rascals movie, except it's adults, not kids. So maybe that would be the uh, comparison. But um, the fact is there there was so much range within what they did. Uh, And of course, they were all very good musicians as well. So that kind of added another layer of talent to what they could do. And while they did some slapstick... And they did a lot of uh, puns, especially Groucho. But I think some of their comedy was very clever as well. And they tried not to repeat themselves too much, although they did have some running gags, uh, but they would alter them a bit. But um, oftentimes they would do different things um, over the course of their career. Like Groucho Marx... Um, if you watch this earlier films, you know, uh, versus around, I think, A Day at the Races, which came out in 1937. In the Day at the Races, he started this crouch walk, which he hadn't done before, but it added another L- layer to his character. Um, but anyway, I would check them out. Um, also, I'm going to leave a link also to my sister and I reviewed every one of their movies if you're interested in watching the reviews um, but I think on YouTube you can actually see one of their movies for free the whole movie monkey business which might be one of their best movies it was their first movie that was not on Broadway 1932 or 31 I, I want to say and uh, it had the actress Th- Thelma Todd which um, it's kind of interesting because later I was looking at uh, 13 Bloodlines of the Illuminati. And uh, it talked about the Collins family and the relationship between them and the Todd family. And he got that from probably from John Todd, who was an uh, Illuminati whistleblower after he got saved. And he was a high-level witch and member of the Illuminati and came from the Collins family, although they changed their name to Todd. Well, he didn't mention Thelma Todd, but um, in the book 13 Bloodlines, it mentioned her, and she was killed by uh, some, in real life, by some mob members. Um, But I thought that was kind of interesting, and maybe the connection between the Marx Brothers and uh, some of this other stuff that we talk about, so, um, anyway, if you're interested, I'll leave a link to, uh, the reviews by, with me and my sister, my sister and I, I should say, but I also, um, yeah, so before we get into the main topic at hand, I would like to play a comedic bit by the Marx Brothers, although you won't get the full effect because it's audio only. But you can, I'll leave a link as well to the clip that I'm going to play here. And this is a a speech that's given by the character played by Groucho Marx named Captain Spaulding. And he's an African explorer. So, here it is.
2: now, my friend. Before we start the musical program, Captain Spaulding has kindly consented to tell us about his trip to Africa. Captain Spaulding... (laughs) friends, I'm going to tell you of that great, mysterious, wonderful continent known as Africa. Africa is God's country, and he can have it. Well, sir, we left New York drunken early on the morning of February 2nd. After fifteen days on the water and six on the boat, we finally arrived on the shores of Africa. We at once proceeded three hundred miles into the heart of the jungle, where I shot a polar bear. This bear was six foot seven in his stocking feet and has shoes on. Pardon me, time. just a I moment, ha- Captain. Just a moment. I always thought that polar bears lived in the frozen north. Oh, you did. Well, this bear was anemic and he couldn't stand the cold climate. He was a rich bear and he could afford to go away in the winter. You take care of your animals and I'll take care of mine. Frozen north, my eye. From the day of our arrival, we led an active life. The first morning saw us up at six, breakfasted and back in bed at seven. This was our routine for the first three months. We finally got so, we were back in bed at six 30. One morning, I was sitting in front of the cabin, smoking some meat. When smoking some meat? Yes, there wasn't a cigar store in the neighborhood. As I say, I was sitting in front of the cabin when I bagged six tigers. Oh, six Captain, of the biggest. Captain, ti- did you catch six tigers? I bagged them, I, I bagged them to go away, but they hung around all afternoon. They were the most persistent tigers I've ever seen. The principal animals inhabiting the African jungle are moose, Elks and nights of piteous. Of course you all know what a moose is. That's big game. The first day I shot two bucks. That was the biggest game we had. As I say, you all know what a moose is? A moose runs around on the floor and eats cheese and is chased by the cats. The elks, on the other hand, live up in the hills. And in the spring they come down for their annual convention. It is very interesting to watch them come to the waterhole. And you should see them run when they find it is only a water hole. What they're looking for is an alcohol. One morning, I shot an elephant in my pajamas. How he got in my pajamas, I don't know. Then we try to remove the tusks. The tusks. That's not so easy to say, tusks. You try that sometimes. Oh, simple. Tusks. Pardon me, my name is Spalding. I've always wanted to meet you, Mr. Chandler. As I say, we try to remove the tusks. But they were embedded in so firmly that we couldn't budge them. Of course, in Alabama, the Tuscaloosa. But uh, that's entirely irrelevant to what I was talking about. We took some pictures of the native girls, but they weren't developed. But we're going back again in a couple of weeks. A and very we show- electing speech, Captain. Very electing for Captain's for that, eh? Three cheers for Captain Spaulding. Oh. Three cheers for Captain Spaulding. Oh, really, I agree. Three Cheers! No one asked for the chairs. Put them right where you found them. Now go down. Go, 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 go on, go on, go on with your chairs. Get
0: up. So you probably can't see it, but at the end there, <laughs> Harper Mark's the one that doesn't talk misunderstood and brought in three chairs and he's very proud of himself only to realize that (laughs) that he was that they weren't asking for chairs anyway i i enjoy the marx brothers so i'll leave a clip uh the link for that clip and also the playlist of the reviews my sister and i made So, if you're interested, check out the Marx Brothers. I think they're very funny and clean for our day. (laughs) But, uh, as you could probably tell in that clip, there were some innuendos that, uh, you know, might have not been that clean for their day. But, anyway. So, on to the topic at hand. Now, in the last ten episodes, we've been talking about apostasies. Those things that claim to be of God, but they're not. And may even have claims, you know, or beliefs and traditions that sound similar to what the Bible says, but they don't, <laughs> if that makes sense. Uh, it's wolves in sheep's clothing. You know, for example, when you think about Hinduism, there's really no connection between that and the Bible. Uh, I mean, there's a connection in spiritualism, and some people might get mixed up in that way, but uh, they don't really use Christian terminology as much, whereas the ones that I listed, um, whether it be uh, Judaism or Christianity, they try to mimic biblical ideas, but of course they twist and turn everything upside down. But anyway, so what is the true church? Well, I first want to talk about these two organizations that were set up by God. First was Israel, which was a nation set up by God. And uh, you could read about that in Genesis, Exodus, you know, the books of Moses, Leviticus, Numbers. Um, But there's two things with Israel. Number one, it was supposed to be a people that were set apart by God. And... um, And in the Mosaic law, it taught them how to live, you know, moral law, but also a lot of these uh, um, rituals and and, uh, feasts and tabernacle set up and all of that stuff. And there's a quite a bit of typology in those things. So while they were doing them, they had a spiritual meaning behind them. And if you look at the tabernacle, for example, uh, you can find a lot of parallels you know like that are hidden in Christ Uh, one of the main things is in Leviticus chapter 1 which is the sacrifice lamb which in Leviticus chapter 1 it says specifically that it is to be as an atonement for you Uh, now the first time we see a sacrifice lamb was way before Israel became a nation way before Abraham was even born in fact it was the son of Adam and Eve Abel. And I assume that God gave the animal sacrifice, or the lamb sacrifice, to Adam and Eve as well, but it doesn't say that specifically uh, in Genesis uh, 1 through 3. But uh, the first time you see it is with Abel. And then you see it with uh, Noah, and then you see it with Abraham, and then of course Moses sets it up So i believe that god gave this to mankind and what is the purpose for the lamb sacrifice well as i said in leviticus chapter one it says specifically it is to be as an atonement for you they're supposed to get a spotless lamb of the oldest of of the you know of their flock oldest male of their flock and it's supposed to be spotless and this is a picture there's a spiritual meaning behind this and in john chapter one in the new testament john says um talks about well jesus shows up and john the baptist sorry john the baptist not john john the baptist says behold the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world and he was talking about jesus and um, jesus died on the cross was raised again 3 days later but all the sins of the world were put upon him from the beginning of time till the end of time were put upon him so he was the fulfillment of the lamb sacrifices now in Israel a lot of the things that they did you know there was the the lamb on the doorpost as well which i think is also a, a picture of Christ when they were in Egypt and all of these plagues hit. Well, the final plague hit, and that was um, the uh, lamb on the doorpost where they were supposed to put anyone who did not have a lamb on their doorpost, an angel would come in and kill the oldest son. And I believe this included Egyptians, if they put a lamb on their doorpost as well, uh, and any Israelites that did not, would have the same fate their the oldest son would be killed and so later they were to remember this with a passover uh supper the bread and the and the wine which was to remember how god delivered them from the hands of egypt and the lamb on the doorpost and all of that stuff which jesus later said do this in remembrance of me he said, I am the body, I am the blood, or the bread is my body, the, the wine is my blood. He's talking in, in symbology here, right? Well, throughout the uh, Levitical law and, and things, there's a lot of things that they're supposed to do, which I think have spiritual meanings behind them. And so, uh, yes, these were all set up by God, and some people did all of the things in a religious manner but they had the wrong heart you know when you look at Cain and Abel for example they both gave a sacrifice to God now some people think that the reason Cain's wasn't accepted is because it was not a blood sacrifice but I think maybe it's because he didn't have the right heart you know there were he was not in his heart of hearts did not really (laughs) I don't know Maybe he thought, look how good of this that I'm presenting to you, this sacrifice is. I think it's a, it's, a, it's religion. You know, Cain was religious. Maybe he thought, and I think one way I describe religion is that they believe that if they do good works, if they present something pleasing to God, then God will accept them. Whereas I believe the true saving faith is when you realize that you are a sinner and you cry out to god for mercy and grace you know this is uh, i think a, a big part of it um, but a lot of the israelites might have followed the law but not had a right heart you know and then there were people that were not israelites that were merged in you know they they were grafted in that were gentiles and because of their faith righteousness they joined the Israeli system that was set up by God and they were true believers so this is not a race based thing you know faith has never been about race or being righteous of God there are plenty of people in Israel that God rejected you know so that's something we need to keep in mind Um, the same thing in the church so in the church there's a like we've said there's a lot of wolves and sheep's clothing and we've discussed a lot of them Uh, but even in good churches there will be wolves in sheep's clothing so not everybody that goes to church is a christian and not everybody who doesn't go to church is not Uh, now it's highly recommended that you have fellowship with other believers you know but um yeah so when i talked about it's not about race there's two movements the hebrew roots movement uh, and one of them is the British Israeli uh... Hebrew roots meaning i believe that that they believe that uh... the lost tribes of israel became like the germanic tribes and the european nations um, the other view i've heard is the african roots in that the true jews were black you know and they make it a huge deal about being black and i had a conversation with some people that believe this that um you know, because I was saying, well, maybe they were, but it, it doesn't really matter because I, you know, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you shall be saved. And this person was like, no, you have to have been, a, you know, a true Jew to get saved, you know. And I said, well, what doesn't it say uh, to to the Jews and the Gentiles? And they said, yes, but it's talking about the the the, the Jewish people scattered, you know the gentile well they claimed that the gentiles were the the jews that had been scattered around the earth which to them were the black people or whatever um to me that's that's uh, obviously a bad teaching i don't have a problem with people believing that jewish the true jews were black you know i don't have a problem with that but um maybe they were it doesn't bother me because i'm not a racist <laughs> What bothers me is to say that only the people of those races can be saved. So, um, because the Bible, in the New Testament itself, talks about going into Ethiopia, talks about going into Rome and Greece and all of these things, which I guess you could say there were black people in Rome and Greece and there were white people in Ethiopia or whatever, you know, I don't care. But... Jesus came to die for all who believed in him. Now, what is the gospel? To me, this is what makes somebody a Christian. So we're going to look at a few verses here regarding what the gospel is. I'm going to start by reading John chapter 3. And Jesus is talking to one of the Pharisees, or uh, he's basically uh, a religious leader of the Jews at the time there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus a ruler of the Jews the same came to Jesus by night and said unto him rabbi we know that thou art a teacher come from God for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him now I I think it's interesting that he came by night if you are familiar with the Pharisees uh, a lot of them did not like Jesus and perhaps he came by night as to not be seen by the other Pharisees. Um, But he seems to be at least flattering Jesus with these words uh, in a positive way. And whether in his heart or not he really liked Jesus or not, I don't know. Uh, Anyway, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Of course, he's seeing things in a fleshly way, and he doesn't understand the spiritual side of things. Well, anyway, Jesus says, uh, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto you, to thee, Ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, listeth and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do know, And testify that we have seen, And ye receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things, And ye believe not, How shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, But he that came down from heaven, Even the Son of Man, which is in heaven, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that's Jesus, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth light cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. Okay, so it talks about if anyone who believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I'm going to skip to Romans 3, starting in verse 16. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law, is the knowledge of sin I want to stop here real quick and just say that basically the law uh, tells us how to be righteous and unfortunately we have a nature the fleshly nature which is a sinful nature that has been passed on ever since Adam and Eve were sinned we've been born like this born with the nature of sin so it is impossible for us to not follow these things. Uh, So it says, therefore by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be saved. Um, We cannot be justified by trying to do these things because it's impossible for us to because we have the nature of sin. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets even the righteousness of god which is by faith of jesus christ unto all and upon all them that believe for there is no difference for all have sinned and come short of the glory of god being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in christ jesus whom god hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say, at this time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. And again, I say in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So the, the problem is we're born in sin. And Jesus demands perfection in order to enter into his presence. Into the kingdom of heaven. And because it's impossible for us by our flesh to please God. All the works, good works done of the flesh are as filthy rags. Is what the Bible says. So we cannot please God by our own flesh instead uh, it is through the remission of sins given by jesus christ that we are saved Um, if you believe on the lord jesus christ you shall be saved that he paid the penalty for our sins and only through him and having a new being born of the spirit then are you able to do righteousness now you have this dual personality now if you're, if you're a believer you have the 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 spirit and the flesh that are coexisting the flesh that only wants to do evil and the spirit that only wants to do good and we're called to try and die to the flesh but live in the spirit walk by the spirit walk in the fruits of the spirit The fruits of the spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The fruits of the flesh are things like fornication, uh, idolatry, um, sexual immorality, and, uh, you know, hatred and bitterness and all that stuff, right? So, uh, I'm going to play a song here first before we finish um, and we'll talk a little bit about how a church should look. You know, what is a, how, do, how a church should function and, and things like that. But uh, I'm gonna play a song by the first Christian rock band that I ever heard, Petra. And this is a song called Not Of This World because the people of God are not of this worldly system. So I think it's it's very fitting, a very fitting song. Once again, that was Petra, and the song is called "Not of This World." I'll leave the t- band and title name uh, in the description below, and you can find it on Spotify or iTunes or whatever. So check them out; they have a lot of good music. If you like that song, you can probably find other stuff you like as well. So, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Christ Jesus is Lord, if you you know believe in his propitiation for your sins, trust in him, uh then you are a child of God, you are in his family. You are born again, born of the Spirit. So that's number one. Number two, I think fellowship is a very important part of what you know, I think it's very important because uh we all need encouragement. We all need accountability to walk in the spirit right to you know um when i'm given to myself when i'm it's just me trying to live my christian life it's very difficult we need encouragement we need um to be around other like-minded other believers right and i think that really helps a lot of people think well uh they, they may maybe they've had bad experiences maybe you've had bad experiences in some churches because they were not they were maybe cultic a little bit and a little controlling or yeah you, you know you, there was something wrong with it. but um, you know I think it's it's very important to be with Bible believing Christians. When I say Bible believing, that is that the Bible is the authority for what they believe, not a person. So often, You have a pastor or a priest or whatever it is whatever they call them in any particular church that basically how what they say goes and if you're not them then you don't ask questions right or if it's a board of leaders if you're not them you don't ask questions you're not qualified you know if you didn't go to seminary or you know whatever who are you well i say you know if you have the holy spirit then you have something to contribute. You are a child of God. The Holy Spirit lives within you. And so any kind of leadership like that I would run from that is kind of authoritarian. In fact, there's a passage here in 1 Peter chapter five, he talks about uh, church leadership. The elders who are among you I exhort, I, who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not, by, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Uh, the, we see a lot of that uh, if you look at the uh, TV uh, evangelists and stuff. Uh, it seems that a lot of them are in it for the money. And if you have eyes to see, if you have some wisdom you can it's pretty obvious. But according to the Bible you're you know leader Godly leaders that are shepherding the flock, it's supposed to be as an example and they're supposed to not do it for you know dishonest gain. Uh, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And, the chief, and with the, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. I want to give you an example of biblical leadership as opposed to worldly leadership. You know, worldly leadership is basically the king, the CEO, the authoritarian position, right? Biblical lead- leadership includes humility and servanthood. You know i think of jesus and his disciples there's a story um of him washing his disciples feet and you know washing somebody's feet was like a uh it was a very um it was a humbling thing to do it was like a uh something a servant did and one of the disciples in fact it was peter himself said no lord i should be washing your feet you know but i think um Godly leadership serves the people, and mainly it's there to, to, to be there. I look at elders, a good elder is someone that is spiritually mature. And in fact, there's some things that it talks about here. Um, likewise, you younger people submit yourselves to, to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another. And be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing... That the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory, by Jesus Christ, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, I wanted to quickly also state. Um, Something about leadership and most, it seems like 99% of churches out there have followed the Catholic model where you have the Pope, you know, priests, these people put in high exalted places. And now most churches have a senior pastor. Now, I want to preface this by saying I don't think it's, I'm not legalistic about this, But I've been thinking about it quite a bit. You know, the church that I go to has never had a senior pastor. And when I went and visited other churches, I began to have an understanding of why maybe that's not such a good idea. But um, what happens is, even if it's a biblical, you know, good, godly man teaching God's word, there's a tendency for people to sort of idolize that person and this becomes their church, right? Um, And uh, the way, what happened was, the church that I go to now started in homes back before I was born in the 70s. They were these house churches, and uh, a lot of them were burnt out. Some of them were ex-hippies and just trying to study scripture together really and really that's all church is it doesn't matter if you meet in a building it do- doesn't matter if you meet in a house it doesn't matter if you meet outside or in tents what matters is that Christians are getting together and studying God's Word and encouraging one another and trying to walk according to what God's Word says and then of course spreading the gospel to other people to, to uh, bring more people to Christ right? Be fruitful. Um, Anyway, so as they were studying and thinking about should we have a pastor and all this stuff, they understood uh, that there should be a plurality of leaders that they call elders. These are like the spiritual leaders of the church, spiritually mature. And they're more of guides, you know, they're, they're kind of like shepherds in the sense of they're there to keep watch. They're not, they've never been authoritarian, but they step in if somebody's doing something apostate or dangerous or divisive and things like that. But generally speaking, whenever I've had a calling, you know, and I talk to them about it, they're like, go for it, you know, they don't, um, you don't have to do things through their system or whatever. They encourage the body and the people of Christ to do what they're called to do. You know, and their only job is to make sure that it is of God and make sure it's not apostate or anything like that. Um, then there we've had deacons. And, oh, and I should also say that different men from the church. And yes, our church only allows men to to teach. Uh, I'm not sure what I think about that, but I'm not, so I won't get into that here. But the, you know, that's how the church does it. And many different men can teach on Sundays. However, they do also have open pulpit every Sunday. And I think this is because they believe that all Christians have the Holy Spirit. And if you have something from the Word, something that God has given to you and put on your heart, there's an opportunity every Sunday for like an hour during the worship time to get up and share something. And that's something that I really enjoy. I think that was something that they did in their home churches, and they wanted to continue that, right? Um, So, um, again, I'm not trying to be legalistic, but I I think I like this model just because it's not a person in charge. There's no CEO in charge. And... uh, and the, the focus is on Christ and not on a person. Right? So that's what I like about it. Um, so, yeah, anyway. Um, I would like to finish this episode with a clip from William Cooper. Um, you know, we've done several episodes from him. In fact, I think one of them has this clip in it. But it talks about, it's William Cooper talking about the true church. And I really enjoy this. I think it's very inspiring. True church.
3: It doesn't exist anywhere today except in small pockets of individuals who meet with each other in Christ's name. All of these organized religions have bastardized the teachings of Christ, have corrupted the teachings of Jesus, and most of them are helping to lead you into slavery in the new world order. In those days, great signs and wonders were performed as God confirmed his word with signs following. True Christianity, ladies and gentlemen, anointed by the Holy Spirit, swept the world like a prairie fire. Nothing could stop it, no matter how many Christians the Emperor Crucified, no matter how many Christians were thrown to the animals in the Roman Circus, one hundredfold sprang up to take their place. This movement encircled the mountains and crossed the oceans. It made kings tremble and tyrants fearful. It was said of those early Christians that they had turned the world literally upside down, so powerful was their message and spirit. Now, I am talking about the true Christian teachings of Jesus Christ and the way that it was followed in the early days of Christ's church, not Rome's church, not Baptist church, not Lutheran's church, not Orthodox church but Christ's church. Before too many years had passed men began to set themselves up as lords over God's people in places of the Holy Spirit instead of conquering by spiritual means and by truth by truth not too many people in the world understand what truth even means today as in the early days, men began to substitute their ideas and their methods in place of the teachings that Christ gave us. The Inquisition came from these people, not from Jesus Christ. The Crusades came from these people, not from Jesus Christ. Attempts to merge Paganism into Christianity were being made even in the days when our New Testament was being written, folks. For Paul mentioned that the mystery of iniquity was already at work. Already at work. And he warned that there would come a falling away and some would depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. The counterfeit doctrines of the pagans. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 through 7. 1 Timothy, chapter 4, verse 2. And by the time that Jude wrote the book that bears his name, it was necessary for him to exhort the people to earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. For certain men had crept in who were attempting to substitute things that were no part of the original faith. Check Jude, chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Christianity folks, came face to face with the Babylonian paganism and its various forms that had been established in the Roman Empire. The early Christians refused to have anything to do with its customs and beliefs. We all know what happened. Much persecution resulted. Many, many Christians were falsely accused, thrown to the lions, burned at the stake, and in other ways tortured and martyred and for their own safety. They went underground in the catacombs and in the caves and they formed their own secret society which was known then as the Friendly Open Secret Society and their symbol to mark their way was a fish. Then great changes began to be made. The Emperor of Rome professed conversion to Christianity. He had to for Rome Rome would have fallen just as sure, just as sure as a tree in the forest falls to the axe if he had not made that move. In those early days of the real church, the real church, Christ's church, who practiced exactly what he taught them, great, great changes began to take place that have affected us right up to this very day. What a shock it must have been when Constantine professed a conversion to Christianity after stating that he had seen the vision of a cross in the sky. And some accounts say that he didn't see it in the sky during daylight, that he saw it in a dream. And ladies and gentlemen, because he never accepted Christ during his entire life and in fact was a pagan sun worshipper, I question whether he ever saw a cross at all. You see, because history says and records very clearly that Constantine never accepted Christ as his Savior. He never really followed the teachings of Christ. He was, in fact, a sun worshiper. He practiced the mystery religion of Babylon. But he was, in fact, the Emperor of Rome. Rome very quickly became, ladies and gentlemen, the Catholic Church, and the Roman Emperor became the Pope. He had to do this to save the Empire. The symbol of the Roman Empire, and the Emperor, was the double-headed eagle. It signified that he ruled over both the East and the West, that the sun did not set on the Roman Empire. This symbol still is displayed upon the walls of the Vatican, and just recently Russia adopted this symbol as its national symbol. It is the symbol of the thirty third degree of Freemasonry. And I could go on and on and on and on and on and on and on. And hopefully you get the point. Imperial orders, ladies and gentlemen, went forth throughout the Roman Empire, that persecutions should cease, simply and quickly cease. Bishops were created and given high honors. The church began to receive worldly recognition and power. But for all of this, a great great price had to be paid. Many, many compromises were made, ladies and gentlemen, with paganism. Instead of the church being separate from the world, it became a part of this world system. The emperor, showing favor, demanded a place of leadership in the church. For in paganism, emperors were believed to be gods. So from here on, wholesale mixtures of paganism into Christianity were made, especially at Rome. We believe the the information that you're going to receive and have received, in fact, over this broadcast, will convince you that what is known today as the Roman Catholic Church, is nothing less than the old Roman Empire transformed and the old Roman pantheon of gods became the pantheon of saints. When Jesus spoke to a crowd and someone walked away from the crowd he did not chase them down the road and try to stuff his teachings down their throat ladies and gentlemen did not do that. Neither did he build great, wealthy cathedrals built of shining glass with great pageants on the holidays and big-name stars to come and sing and perform in these pageants where a homeless person or a poor, unemployed man with dirty clothes would be turned away from the door. Jesus Christ would have been the first one who welcomed that person into the church. And if you will look at the people that he habitually associated with, whose homes he slept in, who became his disciples, you will understand that those today who call themselves Christians do not even know the meaning of the word.
0: So, just to summarize... If you want to know what a good church is, read your Bible and pray. The Bible is the source for truth and prayer by through prayer. If you have the Holy Spirit, he will guide you. And I personally avoid denominations just because it kind of locks you into a specific doctrine that, you know, secondary doctrines such as Calvinism, Dispensationalism, Arminianism. As opposed to the important doc, you know, doctrines uh, of, of the gospel, and we don't need to be divided on those things that are not uh, as important, but we do need to have the freedom to study God's word and have the flexibility to adjust where we stand rather than put our theology in a box that cannot be changed. I think it's better to read the Bible with a flexible heart, a humble heart, a softened heart, and ask God to show us what is the truth. So uh, I've gone over time, and uh, I hope this is something for you all to think about. The most important thing in this episode uh, was about the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are saved by grace through faith, not by works, lest any man should boast. If you have, if you're in Christ Jesus, you will have eternal life. If not, you will perish. So, um, that is the most important thing you should know about anything, in my opinion, in, in the according to the scripture. So, all right, I want to thank you all and have a wonderful day. This is
1: the most awesome podcast of all time. I'm your host, Rob Hedrick. This podcast is brought to you by Proverbs 16, 18, Pride goeth before destruction.